Welcome to another edition of Not As Bad As I Remember It. <laughs> We've been having a bunch of those in TOS. It's, it, I'm not trying to say this is a good episode, but this is, like, usually when I think of really bad Trek, TOS Trek, excuse me, uh, this is one of the first episodes that comes to mind, probably like fourth or fifth usually. But in hindsight, I can see exactly why that is. It's because my printer just decided to do its cleaning check. Damn you, printer! <sighs> okay, so... John Meredith Lucas wrote and directed this episode. Which is also the only time that's ever happened in Trek history, not counting New Trek, which obviously I am not aware of. I can't believe you couldn't wait until after... I just hit record! The... We find out... Let's just go through this, because I want to I want to do this kind of in order here. We find out the women have a great mystical power in order to control... I don't know what that accent is. She's actually French. Uh, the woman who plays... I, I didn't write down her name. The one who plays uh, Ilan, she actually is... She was born in Marseille. <laughs> and she apparently did a decent job with her career regardless of this, which is good because this couldn't have been good for her career. Then again, maybe just being on track is a thing. I don't know. Either way, uh, she has this great thing, and she's the Doman, and everything is great, and she's super awesome, and then her guards beam on board. Okay, no joke. The first thing I did was I just burst out laughing. You know, that kind of just, <laughs> like, like the unexpected laugh. Oh my god, their outfits! Do me a favor, do me a favor. If you don't remember, either pull up an image search, uh, look up Crichton, K-R-Y-T-O-N, if you want to see a specific individual, or just pull up the first. It's, in, it's, it's before the teaser, it's right at the beginning of the episode. It's, it's before, excuse me, it's during the teaser, it's during the cold open. So you can see how ridiculous their outfits are, but then check this out. Then she beams aboard, and there was a second laugh at that point. Oh my god, I thought that was a good idea. She has better outfits the rest of the episode. The blue outfit's not terrible, you know. <laughs> it's just, what is she wearing? Oh my god. Anyways, anyways, anyways. <sighs> okay. <clears throat> so, let's talk about why most people probably dislike this episode, uh, including me. Permission is not given, to, to speak was not given. Permission to leave was not given. I, I have I am going to, however, give your crew permission to not kneel. How many of you respond well to rich snobbery? That's a redundant question. Nobody does. <laughs> not really. Even other rich snobs don't respond well to it because of course they're above all that nonsense. And they only put up with it because they'll have it put up with in return. It's like, it's like a trade, you know. One king will bow to another king so that the other king will bow to them. I don't know if that's true universally, but the point is, the ridiculous majority of human beings do not respond well to this kind of elitist bullcrap. So, that, that attitude can go to hell. But I'm sorry, I actually meant to ask you guys a question before I launched into this tirade. So let's rewind a second. How many of you remember disliking her? Yeah, I know, I kind of already buried the lead on that one. But for real, how many of you do remember being like, when it comes to her, I'll raise my hand on this. And I still do. No offense to the actress, she does what she can with what she's handed, but... Wow, she is astonishingly unpleasant. I, I just I thought about writing down every individual instance of her being a prat, 
And then I realized that that would be a huge list and it would also be a waste of my time because I would have to write down multiple instances per scene. So I'd have to pause the episode to write down multiple instances, unpause, then pause again and write down because that is how rapid fire of a despicably... uh, No, that's the wrong word. Let's go with snobbish. Let's just keep going with snobbish. That is how much of a snob she is for the first half of this episode. It's a non-stop cavalcade of irritation. Now, part of the reason I ask this is, if you remember, I've brought this exact type of question up twice before. Once with Kulrami. You remember him? Over on TNG? Uh, Peak Performance was the name of the episode. And I asked you, how many of you remember him being, you know, this elitist, snobbish jerk? And the reason I asked that is because I remembered that, and then I watched the episode, and he wasn't. Not really. I asked the same thing about Pulaski. A lot of you disliked Pulaski, and so did I, until I rewatched season two. She's a, she's a very irritating person in The Child, her first introduction to the show. And then she's fine for the rest of season two. I mean, she's played by Donna Moldauer, so it helps. But the point is, and I mean that because she's a good actress, not anything else. The point is, though, that that kind of initial can really stick with you more than the rest of the performance, right? It's one of the reasons why they say first impressions are so important. It is worth noting that second impressions and third impressions are important as well. It's just, you know, it's hard to get over that kind of a if you have that sort of a thing with a character. Which brings us to her. The problem here is uh, she is so over the top in her aggravation that there's no real forgiving it. And it's not just a, a scene. It's half the episode. I've heard some people try to discuss this and, and mention her side of things. The problem is we can't because we don't know it. I'll, I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. But I will admit, being forced into a royal marriage for the sake of political convenience by, that has been decided by a group of people who don't give a damn about me, and a royal marriage I have absolutely no interest in, yeah, that would piss me off, too. Absolutely. The Her last lines in the episode are about how she has nothing left to her other than her duty and obligation, and that's all there is to her. And the lament that she shows as she's saying that, I could see that as being genuine, that she is very against this, and she's only willing to do it because it's her job. How many things do you put up with in your life that you only do so because you have to? But that doesn't excuse her attitude, which is kind of my point. I've seen some people say, oh, there's nothing wrong with her, she's being forced into a bad position. And I've seen some people pay, say, she's a horrible human being. My point is I'm actually kind of in the middle, as usual. I think that she is a very... I say human. I actually call her human. Um, I forget her species. Uh, Elanian? I know the other ones are the Troyans because they come up constantly. Elasians? I don't know. Whatever. It doesn't matter. Point being, she is a absolute irritant and a snob. And her situation is very sympathetic and I do actually feel bad for her. Those are not mutually exclusive. This then leads me to... <sighs> I haven't talked about Petri yet. He's played by Jay Robinson, who had an interesting career. That's all I'm going to say about that here. But Mr. Robinson does a really good job of Petri. In his very first scene when he's talking about them, his disdain for them is so obvious. It's just right on the tip of his tongues. And you can just see this as he's saying, I can't wait to 
spend more time with her. You know, the, the, the hesitance is there. He does a really good job with it, is what I'm trying to say. He's, he actually is a very good guest star and very, help, very much helps his role. I'm not saying she's not a good guest star. Like I said, she does as good as she can with the role she's given. So we do have good guest stars in this episode. That does help elevate it, absolutely. But this leads to, you know, we need to go slowly. Okay. They never really state this, but I get the strong impression this is an inter-system conflict. That would make a lot of things make sense, because they mentioned they're going to go at impulse to the other planet. Now, if that ship, excuse me, if that planet is in another system, that's insane. But if it's a planet in system, okay, that makes sense. That's still a long trip, but it's not, you know, years long kind of a long trip. That's like, okay, sure, it'll take us a while to get there. Which makes more sense. It would also make more sense for why this group, which doesn't really have interstellar travel in the strictest sense of the word, has, and yet nevertheless does have spaceships, by the way, would actually have an internecine conflict. You'll notice this is not the first time Trek has posited this idea. In fact, it's the third time, to my knowledge. We had Taste of Armageddon and Patterns of Force, where we have the idea of an intersystem conflict. It's actually a cool idea, and it helps to keep things kind of low scale, but still large enough scale to matter and have an impact. This is the fate of an entire system we're talking about, and at least two habitable planets, right? And however many colonies or mining outposts they might have here. So, I'm with this, really. It's just, it's something I wanted to comment on, because I've heard some people be like, oh my god, how are they going to get to the other planet at impulse? It's like, well, it's probably in the same system. This then leads to... So, the ambassador goes in there and tries one session of throwing gifts at her. Uh, not literally. In which case, she throws the gifts back, literally, this time. And he comes in and says, No, I give up. There's no point in peace. I just want to kill them. Y you're the ambassador. <laughs> and after one session of a few minutes of interacting with them, you're ready to go back to war. Wow. I like Kirk's response to this. Okay, don't try to be friendly. Just try to stop killing them. Let's start with that. Then we'll work on being friendly. This is when... This is when we need to talk about Kirk's approach. I've actually heard several people complain that the way Kirk approaches her is completely unacceptable. Now, I'm, I'm really hesitant to give my opinion on that because all of those, those statements are couched in gender politics, not a captain of a starship interacting with a, a spoiled brat who is part of a royal family. And, I, and you notice I completely removed gender from both of those equations because that's kind of how I'm thinking of this one. The gender doesn't matter. It's just the captain versus the spoiled brat. And if you look at it from that lens, I'm actually with Kirk's approach overall for two reasons. Now hear me out, hear me out. Don't, 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 don't tar and feather me just yet. The first reason is because I tend to think that diplomacy needs to be something that you dynamically alter how you are diplomatic depending on who you're being diplomatic with. You don't approach a Krogan or a Klingon or, I don't know, um, I'm sure I can think of something else off the top of my head if I could, but I can't, so I'm an idiot, with the same kind of way you would approach an Asari or a human or a Vulcan or whatever, right? You, you have to use a different approach. In fact, to be perfectly blunt, he does basically treat her like you would treat a Klingon in this. Very strong, very upfront, very pushing back at everything, and not willing to take anything. 
That's the kind of thing a Klingon would respond very well to. You'll notice she doesn't. She does not respond like a Klingon would, which makes sense, because she's frickin' not. But my point is, he tries to adapt his diplomacy to her, right? Point in his favor. Hear me out, don't tar me up. The second reason is because she's being a spoiled brat, and in my personal opinion, this includes as being someone who's helped raise children and has raised a child for several months of my own life. I guess that doesn't really matter. Speaking as someone who has an amateur opinion on raising kids, there, we'll put it that way, you'd, if someone is acting like a spoiled brat, you come down on them hard. You don't beat them, you don't hit them. In fact, I have never had to spank my niece, not once in, the, in, in my whole life. But that's the point. You don't have to. You don't have to go that far. You just come down hard. No. What you're doing is unacceptable, and all you're doing is taking time and effort away from things we could be doing instead of this. Do you want to go to the park today and hang out and play out there? Of course you do. Why wouldn't you? And you explain things, but you do so from that position of iron, because they need to know what they cannot hit. Children, people in general, but especially kids, are constantly pushing to figure out where those boundaries are, right? That's why the wall of iron is there, to show them this is now a place you cannot go any further in, right? Does this make sense? I'm probably explaining myself terribly, and I'm just going to get killed by everyone in the YouTube comments. But whatever, I'm talking about this episode, which is already dripping with gender politics. I don't even want to touch. So, whatever, we're already here. Let's just do the best job we possibly can, right? So in those two reasons, I am generally, I hope you paid attention to that word, uh, in favor of Kirk's approach. Not specifically, though, because the problem is Kirk is not responding in a manner that I would consider to be acceptable. I know that sounds contradictory, but my point is, well, if you're paying attention, neither of those things are things that Kirk is really doing for the reasons why I said Kirk should do those things. He's doing those things because he's pissed, because she's an irritant and he's not going to put up with it. He's just tired of all this crap. That is unprofessional and unacceptable, especially for someone who is a captain of a starship, which, ignoring my own personal opinions on the matter, we have been told over and over and over in this show, so ignoring the rest of Trek continuity, that you have to be above and beyond to be a Trek captain, to be a Starfleet captain. So even by this show's pre-existing, already established continuity, this is not an acceptable approach for Kirk to be taking. He should have more patience, more tolerance, and he should be able to apply himself here the same way he does elsewhere. This is the same Kirk who has reached out to and made peace with people who have killed members of his crew, and yet he doesn't have the patience for one kid who's throwing a temper tantrum. See my point? That's why I look at this as kind of a weird situation. And frankly, I think this is all to the detriment of the episode. How many of you have ever had to study cartoons? I have. I say had to. Obviously, it's part of my job. But I've been studying cartoons since I was a kid. And one of the things that has irritated me since I was a kid was there's this tr tendency for characterization to go into caricaturization, that's such a hard word to say for me, in order to establish a point in order to then contradict it. Let me try to explain what I mean by example. I'm horrible and evil, and I torture puppies for breakfast. Oh, it turns out, no, I actually just have this really tragic thing in my backstory. But now that you've reached out to me, I am now a good and kind person who is loving and caring, and you see the problem here. Now, that's not the perfect example of it, but you probably know what I'm talking about. 
This usually happens more in 22-minute shows than it does in 44-minute shows. But the general idea is they try to establish a character trait so hard and so severely that it goes beyond reasonability, especially when they then flip-flop into you know another character trait, which is usually also shown just as severely and harshly. In order to, it's usually done as a bit of a, uh, shorthand, basically. You know, it's like ah, ha, 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 ha. okay, I get it, right? Because something more nuanced or subtle, probably you wouldn't really get the impression of it in such a short period of time, because they have to establish them inside of like four or five minutes. You know, if you think about the the episode runtime. So I get it, but I hate it, and I've always hated it since I was a kid. That is basically what this episode is doing with her. At least in my opinion, because again, we don't know her actual motives. But the episode goes so far over the top in establishing just how unpleasant of a person she is to be around that she is an unpleasant person to be around. Deliberately irritating is still irritating. And thus, what we have is an irritating episode right up until about the halfway point. Now, <clears throat> this is... She stabs the ambassador. Haha, ha. we find out about the chemical thing. She eats green chicken. Um, she mentions just being Troyan is enough. You know, all, all this stuff. I feel soiled just interacting with them. Starfleet security continues to suck. This Klingon agent, he, he's actually a, a Troyan, or not a Troyan, an Elysian? Elan? Whatever. But he just kind of is like, doo, 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 and just sneaks right into main engineering. With no issue whatsoever. Nobody at the door, nobody inside seeing him until one person comes up and he just breaks his neck and goes back to what he's doing. What? Uh, this is ignoring the fact that that should be normal. There should be some kind of security there. But there's guests on board in a hostile situation. And there's already been at least one stabbing that we know of. There should be some freaking guards here. Anyways, I'm getting off topic. So, that's stupid. He is, of course, caught in the process, and blah, 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 blah. This then leads to the crux of the episode. And when the episode gets more tolerable, mostly because she stops being such an irritating prat. This is why I say this episode isn't as bad as I remember, because after you jump over the halfway point, it, it substantially gets it more improved. And I know what you're going to say, oh, Laura, you just prefer her submissive. Uh, no. I've actually seen uh, a brief essay about this episode that shows that she buys into the Asian stereotype, as played by a French woman, of someone who is submissive, the, the, the sexy Chinese slave approach or something like that. I forget what it was called. I don't think I actually buy that per se, but it does depend, and that's the catch. And it all depends on what's going on in here with regards to her. It really boils down to one question. Does she actually love him? If she does, then I tend to agree with the, the stereotype and the archetype and the essay thing and all that stuff. I don't think she loves him. Oh, don't mistake me. I think she'd find being with him pleasant. I'm sure the sex is great. This is Kirk in his prime, after all. But I don't think that she actually gives enough of a damn about him. I think she... Well, I was going to say as a politician, but that's actually the wrong word. Ruler? Yeah, yeah, we'll go with that. She is a ruler. She is thinking like one. She realizes that she's being backed up against the wall with the situation with Kirk. So she, the moment he threatens to go get someone else to deal with this is when she rushes out and capitulates and she says that line, oh, No, I just want nobody to, to hate me. 
ball. Now, that is my opinion. I don't actually know, and I am curious of your opinion, but in my opinion, that's a load of hooey. Now, let me give my evidence. First of all, that prompts her to cry. We know what the tears do. She then immediately, like, as, she's, as he touches the tears, there's a sh camera zoom-up of her face as she kind of looks at him like, okay, he's taking the bait, is basically the face she's having. And then she effectively refuses to let him leave so they can go have sex. Again, no, no judgment. You know, it's, it's Shatner in his prime. I'm with it. But the point is, that strikes me more as a manipulation than as a, I'm actually genuinely worried about this particular thing. In short, that she just said that as a lie and then forced the tears in order to try and control him. Okay, that all makes sense. Here's the next interesting thing, though. She mentions her plan to him shortly thereafter. You, as captain of this ship, who is a strong person, as has been demonstrated previously, is someone who can take this ship, destroy the Trojans in their entirety. She doesn't realize this wouldn't work, by the way. But she believes that if she controls him, he controls the ship, so she now controls the ship. Check this out. You go destroy the planet, you come home, you're celebrated as a hero, and we, and the implication here is that she would basically drag him in as her consort or husband, then become rulers of the system. She is playing at politics, just like nobles and lords and rulers have for millennia of real-life history. As anybody who's even tangentially touched historical anything, this probably looks completely familiar. All right, so here's the deal. You end up lining up with me, and you'll take your army and crush our enemies, my enemies, my enemies, and then I will offer my throne co-jointly to you, and then we can unify our realms. This is standard, which is hysterical, because Kirk actually flat out says... What kind of mind could think of such a thing? How about every noble lord and ruler for millennia? This is utterly unrelated, I swear, but Crusader Kings 3, like, just came out as I'm recording this. Like, it came out yesterday. I haven't gotten a chance. I haven't even bought it yet, because it's, it's, I'm, I'm recording. I don't have time for games. You know, I, I spend my entire day recording when I'm doing these YouTube sessions, so I don't have time for anything. It's just... Right? Couldn't you see that happening in CK3 or CK2 or EU4 or whatever, right? Never mind real life. So I think she is playing in politics. I think she is playing real politic, to put it bluntly. I think that's her overall motive and goal. I think that she probably would enjoy having him as her husband. But I think that her primary goal here is that she is thinking like a ruler. This would also explain why, at the end, she resigns herself to the duty and obligation that is left to her, because she failed. Her gamble failed, and her plan failed, and so now she has to deal with what is left over. Because that is also how that works in nobility and blah blah blah. The moment you phrase slot her in as a, as a wealthy or powerful lord or noble, the moment a lot of this episode makes a lot more sense, in my opinion. She's still irritating the first half, I'm not excusing that. This then leads to the episode's big threat, which I'm not even going to comment on because, okay. And we find out, uh, I mean, it's not badly constructed. We find out why the Klingons care about this so much, because they want the dilithium. There is actually an implication that Starfleet is also aware of this. They just did not tell the crew 
that's the weird part. Why wouldn't Spock, at the very least, who certainly keeps up on this sort of thing, or Kirk, who's in charge of the mission, be told why this is so important? Obviously, the Klingons knew. And frankly, I think the Federation as an organization knew as well. That's why they were so invested in this peace treaty. After all, peace means trade, and trade means dilithium. Lots of it. Remember how common they mentioned it is? So, I don't know. It's just kind of a weird reveal. They do a decent enough job with it. They do. One thing I also find amusing, though, in the Nitpicker's Guide here, which I have been uh, referencing for several of these, basically just to see if there's anything I miss, there's this one bit where he mentions that... Uh, oh, God, where is it? i got to find it. He talks about the necklace, and in the guide it's made clear that the necklace is hers, as in of her people. But if you rewatch the episode... Yeah, here it is. Uh, oh, wow, this is... I'm not going to read this whole thing. It's like half a page. <laughs> but anyways, the point is, this posits the idea that they are her stones from her people, and yet it is the same necklace that uh, Petri gave her. The implication being that she has decided now, in the face of having failed her plan, to accept her duty and go along with it. Okay. But the guide says that that doesn't line up because she says they're her stones, but she doesn't. She just mentions that the stones are common and effectively worthless. In fact, in phrasing, now that, I, now that I'm paying more attention to this necklace, considering this is the necklace he offered her, this helps to make sense why she found this to be an insulting gift at the beginning of the episode. Imagine if I offered you a necklace that I just walked out and made a couple of rocks and gave it to you. Okay, in fairness, I could see how that would matter because one of the things that you know, is relevant is the thought and heart and effort in a gift matter more than the gift itself. At least that's the way I think. But let's assume for a moment that I'm a king and you're a queen, or king, or whatever you prefer to be. It's up to you, I don't care. And I, as a royal gift, have offered you this necklace of random rocks. Right? Again, the nobility thing. At that point, you could see that as being frankly insulting. And given Petri's overall refusal to try and bend on this one, and how much he has been obstinate and negative towards the idea of peace... Maybe this thing was being sabotaged by uh, as well. You know, this, this, this gift, this dress, these necklaces. What if it was all crap? Or at least some of it was crap. By people who don't really want to see this to succeed. After all, an extremely common thing when nobles are playing their Game of Thrones is they don't actually want peace. So they use an excuse to broker war. But it's okay, they're the ones who declared war. I mean, yeah, I insulted them horribly by giving them this terrible gift, but nobody's going to remember that. They're going to remember that the other side declared war. I'm good. I'm playing a defensive war. Right? You can see why this episode is not as bad as I remember. At least I hope you can see it, because there's some interesting things to chew on here. It's just, I'm never going to watch this episode again. This is going on the skip list. I'm not, I'm not denying it. I'm not lying about it. It's just, this isn't as nearly far down the list as I thought it was going to be. Regardless, I do hope you've enjoyed my thoughts on this. I'm looking forward to yours, especially your opinions on this one and her, especially in the first half. See you next time, guys.